What if you came to me, you guys, a lot of you know I'm kind of out of shape right now, but I've, I, I like to cycle so much so that I would call myself a cyclist, even the times when I'm really not in very good shape. I'd still like to have my identity somehow <laughs> probably wrongly associated with riding a bicycle. Um, but nonetheless, I, what if you imagine, imagine like what you would do, and I have people do this sometimes, I'd like to be a cyclist, what do I do? Right? Like, imagine asking me that. Ask me that. I'm a, I want to be a cyclist. What do I do? What do I do? Okay. And, and this is what I said. What, what if this is what I said? Okay, here's, here's how you be a cyclist. Here's a bicycle. Okay. So, take this bicycle. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. Take this bicycle, get on it, and ride to Portland. Th th then you'll be a cyclist. Just get on it, ride to Portland. Right, Centralia to Portland, that's right. That's like 100 miles. It's like a century. Right? What would you, what would you think if I just said that's how you are a cyclist? That's it. You just get on and you ride. Just have to, but you have to ride to Portland. Just think about that for a minute. Yeah, right? Something like that, right? It, it probably, it would be crazy. That would be like the dumbest thing in the world. Just imagine for a second. Keep that in your mind as we move ahead in this message. Jesus says, listen up, because this is what Jesus says. You want to listen to his words. They might be read in your Bible even. <laughs> like, read me. Um, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, oh, and my burden is light. The counterpart to this easy and light way, the flip side, is the way of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Of them, Jesus says later on in Matthew's gospel, do not do what they do, for they tie up heavy loads, and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help move them. So a yoke, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's an apparatus that you would put primarily on an animal in order for it to do work like plowing or pulling a millstone. But it's also a metaphor regarding a rabbi's teaching. And it's, and it's not just the content of what they teach, but also the way of learning in relation to the teacher. You guys understand what I'm saying with that? It's not just the specifics of what the rabbi might, or the teacher might teach, but it's how they teach what they teach. It's their whole way about them. They want you to learn. Jesus wants you to learn. He wants you to learn his ways. But his way comes not just with specifics of teaching, but more importantly, the way that is easy and a light burden. In these juxtaposed texts where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees versus what he had to say, you, you see this. You see this, not just the specifics of teaching, but the way. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law their burdens are heavy because they're unwilling to help. 
They are unwilling to help because there are, if you read Matthew 23, arrogant and prideful, lacking in humility. And hypocritical. They are unwilling to do anything. Just do this. You just do it. And if you don't, well, I don't know for sure what's going to happen to you, but probably you're not going to be able to be in God's presence. Jesus burdens. His burden is easy because of his way. Unlike the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he is humble. And he is gentle. He is merciful and kind. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus isn't asking us to do things that are ridiculously impossible. He has a way of teaching those that come to him. It gives us life. It doesn't weigh us down. It isn't like adding one more thing to your plate. Now, it's not that, this will sound a little bit contradictory for a moment, it's not that Jesus' teachings aren't hard. They are. Truth be told, his teaching in specific sounds not only weighty, but it sounds downright impossible. This is where we have to return to what I said previously, that it's not the content so much as it is the way that Jesus is going to teach us. Again, if you want to look at the specific teachings of do's and don'ts of Jesus, they're like seemingly impossible. It's more impossible than jumping on that bike and riding to Portland before the end of the service. Right? And back. It is true. We might be able to stretch it out that long. I have a few friends that could probably make it, at least down there. So like take take when we're looking at Jesus specific teachings like the do's and the don'ts and the things like that take the antithesis for example the section in Matthew and the part of the sermon on the mount where it's like you've heard it said but I say to you that those teachings like Jesus says he says things that are like like you've heard it said do not commit murder but then he goes on he says like not murdering someone is good <laughs> like right we can kind of probably agree on that not murdering someone is good. But he goes on, he says, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough to just not murder someone. You shouldn't even be angry. Well, that doesn't sound very easy. But he says that it's not really enough to not sleep around with whoever. Also called adultery. But you should not even look at others lustfully. Oh, goodness gracious. Doesn't it sound very light? And don't think, he goes on, to think you're nailing faithfulness when you keep oaths that you make. If you were really nailing faithfulness, there would be no reason for an oath at all. And if those aren't hard enough, he's like, oh, and by the way, don't resist an evil person. If someone demands you to carry their pack one mile, do it, and then carry it another mile. If someone slaps you on the cheek, don't slap them back. Turn the other one. Someone wants to take your shirt, give it to them. And while you're at it, give them your coat. 
You know, Jesus says the law is not fulfilled in just loving those who love you. Anybody can do that. Most people do that. You must also love your enemy. So then I ask, like, with just that block of teaching, does that sound like an easy yoke? Does that sound easy? Oh, yeah, I can do that, Jesus. No big deal. Got it. Got that down, man. No, no big deal at all. That sounds, again, just downright impossible to me. Like, I, it's hard. That is hard stuff right there. You may have heard G.K. Chesterton. You may have heard of him before. He wrote saying, it is not so much that Christianity has been tried and left wanting. It's not so much that Christianity has been tried and left wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Hmm. But the question is, is Christianity really difficult? Is it, is it really difficult? Well, it depends upon what a person means by difficult, I suppose, because the reality is just life is difficult. Right? I haven't met anybody that's just like, no, life is a breeze. It's no big deal at all. I just like, woo, just walk along. It's just like, it's easy peasy, not a biggie at all. No, I just, I don't, maybe there are people out there like that. I don't know them. Like, right? I don't. Does anybody like that? Right? Life is difficult. Christianity is difficult then in that sense. Yes. However, I would want to argue not as difficult as living out of step with the ways of God and out of relationship with the one who offers us life and the yoke that isn't burdensome. For Jesus, it is true, did not come to burden us. But in order for his teaching not to be a burden, we have to remember this idea that he is gentle and humble. He is with us as we learn to follow his teaching. He's with us. And he's gracious as we learn. He does not expect us to get it all at once. Did you ever stop and think about that for a minute? Jesus does expect us to abide by the things he teaches us. But he doesn't expect that we're just instantaneously going to be able to pull it off. Jesus would be like, I'm sorry, but a little delusional if that's what he really thought. I mean... The 12 guys that he was walking around with weren't getting jack out of it at that point, right? They were not understanding at all. They were failing miserably. And like, let's not be so delusional as to think that once the Holy Spirit was poured out, all the church's problems were gone. They weren't. We've said it before, I'll say it again. If it wasn't for the fact that the church had major problems, we wouldn't have much of the New Testament. And if the church isn't supposed to have problems, then apparently we are not the church. <laughs> By we, I mean we all. Because <laughs> you all got some serious problems. <laughs> you do. We do. We all do. I do, right? Jesus doesn't expect us to get this all at once. However, we do. We have to do something else. We have to, we have to practice. We have to work at things, right? So, like, what would you do if you wanted to be a cyclist? Right, yeah, maybe we'll start off with some short trip. Well, <laughs> we'd, 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 what was that? Across the parking lot, right? We'll start off some people just say little baby steps, right? Baby steps, it's a reason they call those baby steps. We would work at it. We would slowly journey into it, right? We wouldn't just automatically get on the bike and be like, yeah, I can ride to Portland in the back century. No big deal. We'd have to train. 
it's like with the practice that we do, it's that, it's that practice that makes us better. We would never expect to ride a century without training. We should never expect to just be mature in Christ immediately. What we should expect is as disciples of Christ to go as those who went before us and to struggle and to fail as part of our journey. And we will get better at following Jesus' way. You know, God is okay with your failure as part of the process of growth. In the same way that a parent is okay with their children's failures, they should be, like learning to walk. Like you don't boot your kids out because they failed a couple of times at trying to walk. Right? <laughs> God is, is okay with us in this process of learning how to follow Jesus, how to live out his commands. It's a matter of desiring to, to learn, not a matter of getting it perfect. So embrace, it sounds weird in some sense, I suppose, but embrace, embrace your failure. God is just happy you're trying. Embrace your failure as part of the path to growth. Part of growing. If you, if you think, when you read through like the Sermon on the Mount, and you, will th and you think that you, you will be, or that you have to be, a master of Jesus' teaching in one day, or in one week, or in one year, or even in one decade, that burden will crush you. And you'll give up. Remember, Jesus is gentle and humble. The way to becoming mature comes with much failure. I remember my, I might have told you, you might have heard this story before in some form. But I had a friend, his name is, I really wish he, hope he listens to this, but I haven't seen him for many years. Gregor Kantz, this skinny, scrawny little guy going to school at Regent from Germany. Just loved to ride bicycles and was like this avid cycling family. He's just a wirely, scrawny, little tiny guy, right? Just weighed like a buck ten, maybe. Maybe, not even that. Sorry, Gregor, maybe you weigh more than that. I don't know. Maybe it's less. Uh, cyclists like how little they weigh, to be honest with you. So, so he, he, I had I bought a road bike, and he, um, he had known that I would bought a road bike, and he's bugging me and bugging me and bugging me about going. And I had maybe ridden the equivalent of like five trips from here to Safeway. And, uh, <clears throat> right? And so he's like, he's like, no, really, you should come along. You should come along. Like, it's, it'll be great. It'll be really awesome. You can do it. You know, you're just a strong person. You, you can do it. I know you can do it. And so finally, I'm like, I, I don't think I want to do it. And then, like, we ended up, he lived in this community house, and we ended up over at uh, another person's uh, who lived in that same house for having, having dinner with them. And, uh, and Gregor, he walks over, and he comes up, and he's like, so, I can't do a German accent. He's like, can you, are you going to go? Are you going to go? You're going you're gonna to go, right? You're going to go. We're going to leave tomorrow morning around 930. You, you can ride. It's a horseshoe bay. I'm like, well, tell me about it. Is, there, is it, like, hilly, or is it flat, or is it what? And he's like, oh, no, it's not very hilly. <laughs> so, it is, it's, you know, it, it's, um, right? So I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know. I don't, do you really think I can do it? I was like, I've probably ridden my bike like 12 miles. And he's, I'm like, how far is it? He's like, it was like 48 miles. I'm like, I, I just don't, 
I don't think I can do that. He's like, no, you can do it. I know you can do it. I'm like, okay, all right. So sure enough, 9.30 in the morning, he shows up with like four of his friends, four of our friends. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, this is not looking good. We're all like in our spandex and everything, right? And, and so we like take off. And if you've been to, Van- if you've been to Vancouver, you've been to um, oh, uh, uh, St. Uh, oh, shucks, the park, the park, the big park. Stanley Park, there we go. So we ride from our house to Stanley Park, and that's like maybe six miles. And I'm already like dying, right? <laughs> and and we, 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 get to, uh, we get to the Lionsgate Bridge. Have you ever been over the Lionsgate Bridge? It doesn't seem like you go up at all when you're in a car. I mean, maybe a little bit, just like, whoop, you know? And so I'm like not, I'm like... <laughs> As soon as elevation starts to change, it's like I'm not a skinny little guy, especially at that point, too. But like I am right now, probably. And like I'm just dying. I'm just trying to get to the top of the bridge to get to where we're going to ride, right? I'm like, I'm like, oh, great. You know, scrawny 110-pound German guy, he's just like leaving me behind. And so I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. I'm just stubborn, right? You all, you're not stubborn, are you? I'm like, so I'm just like, I get to the top of Lionsgate Bridge, and the good part about cycling is going down, right? It's just like, it's so much nicer, right? So much nicer. So we, we get to the bottom, and they're all waiting for me, and they're, <laughs> and they're like, like, you doing it right? I'm like, oh, I'm fine, fine. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So we go with winding through this little town on North, North Vancouver, and we get out to the road that takes you to Horseshoe Bay, and... Uh, and, and at that point, I should have, like, should have, like, the light bulb should have gone on. But one of the guys that was with us, he's like, yeah, yeah guys, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and drop out right now because uh, I just haven't been riding a whole lot lately. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ride back. I'm like, oh, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I, 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 I'm like, I can go. I can do this. I can do this. Right? <clears throat> it's all pride talking. So we, we start riding. And I'm, like, anticipating, like, okay, the rest of this is going to be fairly flat because, you know, <laughs> Right, not even close. So every hill we get to, maybe a quarter of a mile long, so they weren't much for hills, but never having ridden up hills before, they have to wait for me for like five to ten minutes, every single hill, right? And, and I'm just like, guys, I'm really sorry. Gregor's like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. They're a really gracious bunch of Christian people, imagine that. And they're like, no, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. It's not a problem at all. And so... So we, we're riding along, and on, of course on the downhill, I can keep up with them, so we're doing great here. But we get to the next, next hill, it's like the fourth hill in, and we ride, we ride to the, they ride to the top of the hill, and I, I get to the top of the hill, and I'm just like positive, I'm just going to hurl, right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, abs- I just, you know that feeling? Like you can't push, you can't push the contents of your stomach down, you're just trying really hard, and you're just like, oh, stay down, stay down. And so I had to stop, and you know, you ever have to do this? <sighs> Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 We're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. We're gonna walking around in cycling shoes too. Click clack. Click clack. Click clack. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be okay. Gonna be okay. We get all the way to Horseshoe Bay. Well, back up for a moment. I recover. Another one of my friends comes over and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to tell you what to expect before every, every hill I'll tell you. There's a hill coming so that you can be prepared for it, which amazingly somehow made a, di- made a difference. And, and he stuck. It wasn't Gregory. He took off. <laughs> it, it, 
was, he, David Hyman was his, is his name. And he stuck by my side that whole ride, just telling me, okay, so you can relax here, downhill for a while, then we're going to go uphill. going to seem like the hill is done, but it's not. <laughs> we're going to go around a curve and there's more hill. <laughs> but however, how, whatever, whatever that was, that made all the difference in the world, just to have him by my side and helping me to anticipate what was coming next. So we, we get out the Horseshoe Bay, and this is what actually kind of hooked me into cycling, was that from Horseshoe Bay, you can look and see Lionsgate Bridge, which is a huge bridge. And that bridge was just a speck. I mean, you could just barely see it. And I'm thinking, what the world am I thinking? Like, what? what? I got to ride all the way back now. I was like, that's, that's the dumbest thing in the world. So about six months later, I did that same ride again after riding regularly after that. And lo and behold, it wasn't true. All the hills were gone. All the, like I would have said the same thing. Yeah, it's a fairly flat ride. Everything changed because I was practicing more. I was riding more. I was involved in training and doing and Granted, I'm very thankful for both the difficulty of that ride and my friend David who rode with me and carried me along and told me what to expect. It's this way, I think, with discipleship. Jesus is like my friend David. He's there with us. We want to listen to him and encouraging us, telling us a little bit from time to time when it's necessary, what we can expect. And as we ride, we get stronger and better at it. I said ride, didn't I? Walk with him. <laughs> Just like my friends, David and Gregor, they didn't really expect me to be everything that they were telling me I was prior to going on the ride. They were patient with me, and they helped me along the way. They didn't expect me to be some tremendously awesome cyclist all at once. It's this way, just in ministry, it's this way in following Jesus. And to be honest with you, there are still times when in ministry, in life, in discipleship, in walking with Jesus, and just being a, a regular old Christian, I figuratively have to put my hands on the top of my head because I feel like I want to puke. Seriously, like ministry sometimes, life in Christ sometimes can feel like that can feel a little bit overwhelming. But then I have, I have to stop and remember, as I feel like I'm going to puke, that Jesus is with me. That I'm not alone. That he is faithful to stay with me as I grow through my relationship with him, in my relationship with him, as I practice. As I practice, it sounds almost strange to talk about practicing being with Jesus, practicing being like Jesus, practicing living out Jesus' way. But there is something even more to this than practicing the things you're trying to get better at. There are often related but also unseen things that go on. Going back to cycling for a second, there are other things associated with the ability to ride long distances. 
things that people don't normally see, like eating. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we see each other eating, but there's a specific way of eating and cycling, like checking the glycemic index, weighing your food, like, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. Jenna, though not being a cyclist, would be a very good nutritionist for cyclists. <laughs> or, or sleeping, a sleeping routine that, unless you're a creeper, you don't see other people doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> or hydration is very important, not just on the bike, but off the bike between training regimens. Stretching, very important. You're not going to be a good cyclist if you aren't limber. Of course, laundry, you have to do laundry, a lot of laundry as a cyclist. That sounds very strange. Well, Kat does a lot of laundry in our family. It sounds strange, but uh, I won't, I'll spare you some of the details. But believe me, you want your chamois to be clean. You, if you don't know what a chamois is, look it up online. Put cycling in with it, though. You want, you want clean cycling gear. Like all this stuff, bike maintenance, sometimes an occasional leg massage or something, if I can talk Kat into it. There are all these things that contribute that are kind of important when it comes to becoming a good cyclist, able to ride long distances. There are just many behind-the-scenes things that a person must do if you're ever going to actually work that out. So it's not just the doing of the specific thing you're wanting to do. But you need to do. There's other important aspects of this. You, can, you can't just... You can't just Ride a bike to be a good cyclist. In the same way, or even in a more essential way, just as there are unseen but necessary things associated with becoming a good cyclist, there are unseen but essential things to Christian formation. I say even more essential than to cycling or to any other activity that we do, because truth be told, as Christians, we cannot just wait around for certain situations to find us in order to work on being prepared. Like, it's really hard to work on loving your enemy in a moment. It's hard to turn the other, work on turning the other cheek. You've got to wait around for somebody to slap you. That'd be fun. Ah! I mean, there's some things we can do, right? Some things kind of present themselves to us almost too easily, like lust. But there are other things that like, we have to seek other ways to find formation so that when the day presents itself, we are prepared. When our enemy does stand before us, we are able to love them. It's hard to find little enemies to love, like little hills to climb on a bike and to train, right? Like, it's kind of a quasi-enemy. I'll love him. I'll work on loving my enemy. No, I... We've got to find other ways to be built up. You have to prepare. There are other ways, like stretching or sleeping to a cyclist, that are not often seen because the doer of them is not doing them to be seen. We may hear about them from time to time, but when they are done most meaningfully, you would never even know they're being done. These are things that are as essential essential to Christian formation as food and water are to any endurance athlete. And these things are prayer, 
and fasting and giving and solitude. When these things are not part of our lives, trying to follow Jesus becomes burdensome and heavy because it is in doing these things that we become unburdened. These hidden things allow us to take some time and reorient our life. They allow us access to God to ask, okay, somebody slaps me, will you be there for me? Can you help me? I'm starting to feel angry. Help me to deal with my anger. They help us to process our experiences. You ever find that just when you, it's happened to me just the, just the other day, like when you just verbalize the struggles that you're having or the things that are going on in your life, you don't even have to have anybody answer you back. It's just all of a sudden you feel this weight lifted off of your shoulders. Just in knowing somebody else knows and doesn't think you're insane, or at least they didn't tell you. It's, a, it's amazing when we can come before our Lord and do that. It's powerful. Coming before God in, in prayer and solitude helps us to process our experiences and to remember that it's, it's not we that are in control. And it's during these times of these, practicing these disciplines that God just pours into us. In order to become like Jesus, in order to actually live out Jesus' way, in order to actually do what he calls us to do, in order for his burden to really be light, and his yoke to be light and easy, we must practice the ways of Jesus completely. These things, these prayer and fasting and giving and solitude, these are things that Jesus did. We can't expect to live a Jesus life and skip those things off and say, I don't really need to do that. We can't expect to be able to love our enemy well. Jesus is the perfect example of the love of enemies. And not pray fast, give, and find solitude. Life becomes heavy when we try to follow Jesus. His burden becomes weighty when we think we don't need to practice and when we do not participate in the unseen things. So why don't we? I think part of this problem is cultural. We live in a really vain society. We want to be seen. Like Who would do something of any importance and not be seen? Right? Like, I got a post on Facebook. Hey, everybody, I'm praying. Hey, everybody, my skin is all dried out. Guess why? I'm fasting. <laughs> why would we do anything that would not be seen? Ah, we're vain. And we live in an instant society. We want everything now and we throw tantrums when we don't get it and don't tell me you don't. My goodness. Right? My, I didn't order my Amazon order before 3 o'clock, therefore I'm not really getting two-day shipping. That is a crock. I know! That's what I'm saying! <laughs> Total crock. Two-day shipping. This vain and impatient way has found its way into, not for the first time, but maybe as powerfully as ever, our faith. 
the reality is that like we want to appear knowledgeable without going through the process of learning. Because that's hard. <laughs> I just want everybody to think I know something. I don't actually want to have to learn. We want to appear wise without gaining actual experience. We want to appear spiritually mature without practice. I guess we want a godly life without consulting God. We don't want a life of dis discipline. We want it easy. Right? Discipline sounds hard. We just want it easy. But it's, it's totally ironic. Because in wanting it easy, we make it hard. <laughs> we make it hard in wanting it easy. But let's, let's back up a little bit. I'm going to go over a few things that I already went over. Because I don't want learning... I don't want learning and discipleship to sound like itself a heavy burden. I don't want wisdom shaping experience to sound like loads that are unbearable. I don't want spiritual maturity to sound so impossible that you leave it untried. Some, some of this I'm, I'm backing up, admittedly so, okay? But, but take this for consideration. Everybody learns. Humans, like, have to be taught. Right? You have to be taught. You didn't just come out of the womb just with some pre-programmed brain that knows all kinds of stuff. They haven't yet come up with a SD card slot for the side of your head to just plug in and know stuff, right? Oh. Some people try and actually imagine that day is coming, but I just don't think so. Undoubtedly, we have all had many teachers, some of whom we called teachers, some of whom we did not call teachers. But we've all had many teachers, friends, parents, acquaintances, bosses, employees, fellow college students, fellow friends on the street. We've all had many teachers. Undoubtedly, too, we have been influenced by, as Psalm 1 puts it, the counsel of the wicked. So who is who's the counsel of the wicked? If we're not supposed to seek the counsel of the wicked, who is the counsel of the wicked? I think that most people would imagine it's just some sinner that's trying to get you to sin in the same way that they're sinning, right? Hey, let's go outside and have another pack. Let's go outside and steal somebody's car. Let's go beat somebody up. I think that's the way a lot of people think about it. Let's dance. The counsel of the wicked dance. That's like a real thing. Like we laugh about it, but that is a real thing. I can, not, I'm not saying it's a real thing, real thing. I'm just saying like people really think that. <laughs> it's a real thing. It, right. I, I know they did, didn't they? Footloose, yes. Yeah, whole, whole move. Right? We should view that after church one day. That would be kind of awesome. But like typically that's, I think, what religious people think of when they think about what the counsel of the wickedness, the counsel of the wicked is or who they are. But, but I think it's more simple than this. And, and by the way, I, am, I have to say, I should have said this straight out the beginning, straight out of the gate. I was laughing too hard, though. But uh, um, one of the influencers in my life who I have actually never met and who is no longer alive is Dallas Willard. And I owe a tremendous amount of the content of this message to his teaching. 
into his, his, uh, his influence in my life. Um, he, he says, that, uh, he says it's, that that's not it. That's not the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked are, are just like normal people. Typical voices in the world who live as if God doesn't exist. Being taught, being instructed, being informed and decision-making by people who themselves don't think God exists or don't really care if he does. Or that his kingdom is not here. That's the counsel of the wicked. They don't think that God is real. They don't think the kingdom is here. And they don't think that, this is where religious folks fit in, that God is as good as Jesus says he is. There's a lot of religious people that are like, yeah, that Jesus was really nice. He was really good. But don't think God is that nice. Seriously? To which we say, seriously? <laughs> the counsel of the wicked are going to try and convince you that God doesn't exist or help you make decisions out of that understanding or that his kingdom is not here and that he is not as good as Jesus says he is. Wicked counsel makes God's ways heavy burdens, and hard yokes. We make a light burden heavy when we believe the counsel of the wicked when they say, you must earn the right to a life with God. The world is big on earning. The world is big on each person making their own way. But this way of earning what is enough? What is enough? Where does enough earning fit in with the kingdom of God? When have you made it if that was true? And what about failure? Where does failure fit in? You can see if it happened to earn it, failure becomes a heavy burden because all of a sudden, oh my goodness, you might be ousted if you even made it in in the first place. You never really know. When will I get fired? Because I didn't do well enough. But earning is, is not the way into the kingdom or the way in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you are not earning anything. A life with God, brothers and sisters, is all gift. It's all gift. So relax, you, you cannot get fired out of the kingdom of God because you tried and failed. You can't. We put forth effort, but not to earn. We put forth effort because we have become ravished with Jesus and we want to be like him. I never really did this in cycling, but a lot of cyclists and many other sports would probably be easier for you to associate this with, but try and imitate their favorite cyclist wear the same cycling shoes, get the kit that that cyclist races in, buy the same bike. They want to be, like, they they be like that cyclist that they love. We should want to be like Jesus. We do what we do. We put forth the effort that we put forth because we want to be like him. We make Light burdens heavy when we listen to the counsel of those who expect us to be masters of something the first day. It would truly be the counsel of the wicked if somebody actually proposed to you that to become a cyclist you had to ride on the very first day you tried to Portland and back, right? That would be wicked, wicked counsel. <laughs> I'll tell you what, 
<laughs> there ain't no chamois in the world to make that a comfortable ride. <laughs> this kind of you have to do it right now is big in religion. The religious say, here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said. Stop being angry at your brother, so just stop it. Stop it, right? If you're really with Christ, you will stop being angry with your brother and your sister. But a life in Christ doesn't expect that kind of immediate, instantaneous, two-day shipping. It's a journey. Jesus doesn't expect that of you. A life in Jesus' yoke is a life where you grow and get better at what you do. We already covered this, but I have to say it again. It's a life of grace where failures and struggles are the realities on the road of formation. Jesus' light burden becomes heavy when we think that there is no grace. It becomes overwhelmingly crushing. And we make light burden burdens heavy when we listen to the counsel that thinks we have to go it all alone. Sinful human nature, we don't need any help with this, it seems, just thinks this way. Adam and Eve, they run and hide from God. We think we have to go and just work out our problems on our own when we're handicapping ourselves because the actual source that can change us is excluded when we do that. We have to have God to be transformed. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is like a journeyman and we're his apprentices. He does, and we watch. And then we do, and he helps us. He never leaves us alone to do the work. His yoke is a yoke made for two. And we make a light burden heavy when we believe the counsel that says that it is our responsibility to control outcomes. Oh, man. This is a huge one for me. I'll say it again. We make a light burden heavy when we believe the counsel that says that it is our responsibility to control outcomes. The pressure to be something more than just faithful will lead to a heavy burden because we're trying to control what we cannot. You can only really control you. <laughs> That's hard enough. Well, in my case, sure y'all are way better at that than I am. <laughs> if it's on my shoulders to control outcomes that rely on things out of my control, you get it, right? It's impossible. God doesn't call us to control outcomes. He just calls us to be faithful. It's an impossible burden to try and control outcomes. It will also become a heavy burden because, quite honestly, knowing I can't control things, really, knowing we can't control things, we have a tendency to take measures into our own hands in keeping with faithlessness to try and control outcomes, like coercion and manipulation. And they don't really control any outcomes. They just make a mess out of everything. And when we do, the wheels come totally off and the burden is so heavy, we can't even breathe under the weight of it. So let me unburden you. 
you do not have to control outcomes. You don't? Yeah, that's something to celebrate. Praise God. You don't have to control outcomes. You don't. God just calls you to be faithful. That's all he wants. Let God deal with the outcomes. He's the only one who can. He's the only one that can. Jesus' yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Because God really is as good as Jesus says that he is. You can live in that. You can rest in that. You can let that wind sweep over you and just empower you, encourage you, and let you take a deep breath and just cast everything off that's weighing you down. God really is as good as Jesus says he is. I'll say a couple more times. God really is as good as Jesus says he is. God really is as good as Jesus says that he is. Rest in it. Relax in it. Have fun with becoming a Christ-like disciple. Have fun with it. I mean, it's, get me wrong. Like, I know that it's hard sometimes. We talk about that. But it also should bring us great joy to become like our Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much that we don't have to control outcomes. Thank you that you are as good as our Lord, the incarnate word, has made, has made known. That you really are as good as Jesus says you are. Help us to really embrace that. Help us to really grow into that. Help us to live into that, Lord Jesus. Help us to recognize that that we are not just at a single point of transformation, but in a journey of transformation with you. Help us to surrender our lives anew to maybe implementing some different disciplines and practices into our lives, some more time of prayer, some more time of fasting, some more time of solitude, some more time of giving. Help us, Lord Jesus, in those moments then to be filled up again to cast off the things that are weighing us down. I just begin pray for the people that are here right now, Father. And I ask that you would just free them from whatever burdens they feel like they have to carry. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, for being our Lord. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for revealing the Father to us. We praise you. Amen.